What is going on, people? Welcome to the Ubuntu Nutrition Podcast, episode number 17. Today, I have Dr. Scott Forbes, hailing from Brandon University in Manitoba, Canada. Dr. Scott is one of the leading researchers in creatine in the entire world, and he breaks down every single question you could ever have on creatine today. So sit back, relax, and listen up. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode on this fantastic Friday morning. If I did this right, it should be out on Friday morning. If not, maybe it's Friday evening, maybe it's the weekend, maybe it's 2025 and you're listening to this five years from now and I'm big and famous, but probably not. Anyway, today I have Dr. Scott Forbes on the line and he is one of the world's leading researchers in creatine which is a very, very popular supplement, but also natural compound produced in our bodies as well as sourced from our diet, right? So as I said, this has become a very, very popular area of nutrition and more specifically performance nutrition. However, with that, unfortunately, as does with every popular topic in nutrition, has come miscommunications and stigmas. So you might be thinking to yourself, whoa, this fella now with this podcast has gone from speaking to guests about behavior change, mindful eating, weight loss maintenance, and now gone and zoomed into a very specific supplement called creatine. What the fuck's going on? Well, the reason I'm focusing on this or the reason I had Scott on was because Number one, creatine is, and you'll hear, you'll hear this throughout the episode, one of these supplements that all nutritionists, researchers alike would pretty much recommend to almost everybody to start taking, right? If you're listening to this and you're like, all right, this is not applying to me, creatine, I'm not a, I'm not a professional athlete, I don't give a fuck about this, keep listening because it actually probably does apply to you right? Um, And the second reason is because I've been following Scott for a while. Uh, I was connected to him through a good friend and he is someone who, whilst he is grounded in the research or the field of academia, that's where he operates, that's where he works, he is also excellent at communicating to the lay population. So many of my listeners are people who don't study nutrition. They're not nutritionists. They don't work with a nutritionist yet they're still interested in improving their health through their diet, right? And for those people, it's so important, if this is you, it's so important that we communicate evidence-based information in a way that you can actually understand, right? So you'll notice that all of my previous guests have been able to do that effectively. And at the start of podcasts, you know, when I started the podcast up, it might seem I was trying to get anyone on. I wasn't. I was actually reaching out to a very specific guest that I knew wouldn't get way too complicated or way too scientific. And Dr. Scott is one of those people, right? So sometimes regardless of the topic, I just like to have them on. But this topic is definitely of interest to pretty much everyone, I promise you. 
So today all we do is go through pretty much every question I've ever had on creatine. So I'm sure it covers a lot, if not all of your bases uh, or the questions you had. So with that, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you take something away from it. Without further ado, Dr. Scott Forbes. Cool. Okay, so welcome to everyone listening and Dr. Scott Forbes, who has agreed to come on the podcast. Thanks very much, Scott. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so Scott's one of the world's leading researchers in creatine, but I'll let you get into that. So will you just tell us before we dive in, I suppose, to the content, just a little about what you do, uh, what you've done in the past, and what your current projects are at the moment? Okay. Um, so we got a lot going on, so this will take a little bit of time, but uh, I am an associate professor at Brandon University in, in uh, beautiful Manitoba, Canada. It's actually in the central part of Canada, and there's nothing around me, so it's a completely uh, barren wasteland where I live, so it's not the nicest part, but uh, it's where I live. Um, my research generally focuses on nutrition and exercise interventions to enhance muscle, but I've also done studies looking at uh, bone and brain health as well. And uh, yeah, across a variety of populations, so including younger individuals just looking to improve performance and older adults trying to improve health. So I've done the variety of studies. Um, Basically, my research is, I just want to know how to get jacked and uh, basically be a little bit smarter with as little effort as possible. So that's my general research area. Gotcha. gotcha. So some, of my, uh, some of my current projects, um, we're currently uh, have a study under review looking at creatine timing. So when's the best time to take creatine? So is it before or after exercise? Um, we, we also just submitted a review with uh, examining um, common myths or misconceptions with creatine. So hopefully that gets published in the near future. Um, we're also just finishing up a study looking at creatine and resistance training in stroke survivors. So individuals who have had a stroke and to see if uh, creatine is effective. And there's some pretty cool findings in that particular study. Um, we're also looking at a creatine combined with caffeine on resistance training adaptations. Um, there's been a couple short-term studies, and there's actually some studies to show that you sh perhaps you shouldn't take those two things together. But uh, those, as I mentioned, those were relatively short, you know, less than seven days. So we wanted to, uh, to do a longer-term study. So we did a six-week study. Um, we've also uh, submitted a paper looking at creatine and sodium bicarbonate um, on Taekwondo performance. Um, and uh, yeah, we're working on a couple other reviews as well. So creatine and protein combined. Um, can you take just creatine alone? Is that a benefit for muscle and, and bone health? So there's a, a few projects that are happening and that have happened in the last year or so. I can imagine. Is the... This might be not in your area, but like, is it a very, very topical issue now? Like is getting funding quite easy for this area because it's such an emerging supplement or compound? 
Uh, yeah, so funding in Canada is actually, it's very difficult. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of interest with regards to creatine. But I would say, um, yeah, it depends on the, the specific research question and uh, yeah, the funding source that's available. But uh, mm. um, in general, yeah, we've been quite successful at getting some funding to run these studies. Gotcha, gotcha. So people might be listening and like with this podcast, as I've, I've mentioned to you, it's directed at the general person, not someone who's say a nutritional science student or a researcher or a coach, even though they obviously would be able to take something from it too, but they might think, whoa, you went from mindful eating to a fucking episode about creatine. What's going on? So, but it's very rare that you have nutritionists, researchers alike recommending a supplement to basically yeah. the whole population, no matter who you are. And I think creatine yeah. really ticks that box and it's one of the only supplements that ticks that box. So I suppose maybe just before we dive in, what is creatine and why is it that everybody should take it <laughs> in a general sense? And then we can dive into maybe specific people who should take it. Yeah, so um, first of all, uh, creatine is, is not a steroid. Um, so it's, it's actually just made up of free amino acids. So if you consume protein, that's, it's, that's made up of 20 amino acids, but creatine is just three of those specific amino acids that are put together and you can actually put them together in your body, um, in your liver and kidney. It's a, a two-step process and you can create creatine. So it's, it's super safe supplement to take. Um, so there's, yeah, there's, there's other ways to get it. So you obviously you can get it in your diet through things like fish, uh, chicken, uh, beef, for example, those are all sources of creatine but you can also get it through a dietary supplement or your body can make it endogenously. So again, in your liver and kidney. So again, just, I guess for the audience to kind of understand that it's just made up of three amino acids, which are the building blocks for protein. And it's a very safe, you know, thing to consume and our body naturally produces it. So how does it kind of work? I guess is once it gets into our bloodstream, about 95% of creatine is taken up into the muscle, but we also take up creatine into other tissues as well. For example, in, in our brains, we actually use creatine, and that's why there's some evidence that creatine could be a benefit for brain health as well. But most of the creatine is taken up in, into the muscle, and then essentially it's stored as uh, potential energy. And when you do things that require um, high intensity uh, activities like a burst of energy, then you can you can break down that potential energy stored creatine or phosphocreatine and produce energy to support that um, high intensity activity. So whether it's uh, lifting weights, for example, which is obviously quite intense for short periods of time and you take a rest, or if you're doing interval training or sprints or things like that, Creatine has, a, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that it's an effective supplement. Gotcha. Okay. And so why do you think that it did? Because I remember in my high school days when I just started that, you know, that gym life phase uh, and I started taking whey protein, you know, I probably wasn't hitting my protein goals and I was focusing on whey protein, the supplement. And 
some of my friends started taking creatine and I can honestly say I thought it was some kind of performance enhancing drug or hormone therapy. I had no idea that it was simply this natural compound in, as a supplement. So why do you think it gets this label as like, you know, this drug? Um, well, I don't know if you can uh, see my shirt, but <laughs> so nice. my shirt says uh, creatine is a gateway drug. So this is, it's a common uh, misconception associated with creatine. But I think it actually started back into uh, in 1992. So probably before you're born, you look like you're like 12 years old. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, but 1992 at the Barcelona Olympics, um, Linford Christie, who is a British sprinter, um, drank creatine before his race and then obviously won the Olympics. And I think that's just you know, people were like, what is this, you know, what is this compound? What is this thing that this person was consuming? And it seems to have this magical effect. And I think some suspicion associated with, you know, sprinters and, you know, he won the Olympics and maybe he was taking drugs. And, and then um, also uh, the, the steroid scandals in, in uh, baseball as well. So a lot of those, Mark McGuire, for example, was consuming uh, creatine, but also taking steroids. So I don't know if that link also emerged as well. So there's there's a couple uh, kind of key scenarios, I guess, that have happened in the past that have kind of put steroid use and creatine kind of in the same conversation. Mm. And then I think just from there, it's just this myth and, and misconception that creatine is actually a steroid kind of emerged. And there's actually a lot of evidence to say that creatine could actually be a benefit to help build muscle. So it creates an anabolic environment and it has what we would call steroid like properties because it's anabolic, but that's not to say it's a steroid. It's, it's, as I mentioned, it's, you can, whenever you consume fish or, beef or um, chicken, for example, you're consuming creatine. So trust me, when you're consuming those, you're not consuming steroids. So it's completely different. And But for whatever reason that, that has stuck in the population and people just associate creatine with steroids. Yeah, that's very interesting. I actually didn't know about the history of that. So it was almost like it was damaged or tarnished by just association. Yeah. With those yeah, athletes. So yeah. We need podcasts like this that break that association. Yeah, so that's that's why I think it's so important. But because uh, I've been following you for a while and the stuff you're pushing out, like just recently you put up that post, the meta-analysis looking or um, the observational study looking at depression, the link with depression, which yeah. was maybe we can come to that um, in a bit. But just in terms of athletes, like maybe we can just make a general statement to any athlete performing at any kind of level where they would be subject to testing. Creatine, you can take creatine at all levels once you are understand or once you're sure that it has been batch tested for contaminants or prohibited substances, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So of course, uh, if you take a dietary supplement, it can, it can be contaminated. Um, so you just, yeah, need to make sure that it's batch tested, whether it's like NSF certified. I don't know if you have the same certification process. Um, yeah, yeah. In Ireland, I think it's called informed sport. They call it. Yeah. So yeah. there's different uh, different independent bodies that 
batch test. So that's really important when, if you're an athlete and you're concerned about having a positive test, and that would simply be associated with contamination, not because creatine is actually a steroid. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. But creatine in itself is not a steroid and completely legal to use at any level in sport, right? Absolutely. Okay, perfect. That's, uh, that'll be a nice little tidbit. Okay, um, now I suppose we move on to the safety profile because the drug stigma aside, another side or another rumor about creatine is that it can damage the kidneys or that it's unsafe. So maybe we can just dive into, or that it can you know, cause baldness. So maybe we can just dive into that. And I suppose it doesn't help that you, you have a bit of ball there and you're uh, one of the world's leaders in uh, creatine. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really unfortunate actually. But, uh, and a lot of my collaborators as well. So um, Bill Chilibeck, uh, Darren Kando, we're all uh, losing a little bit of hair. So it's a good thing that I've collaborated with uh, Rick Prider as well, who has a nice set of hair. But Listen. Um, yeah, a lot of us don't have don't have a lot of hair. So, um, so yeah. So the safety profile. Um, again, there was there was a case study. It was in the I think it was in 1998 or the early 2000s, where somebody had um, a certain condition, and they had kidney failure that was happening. And they also took creatine. And so this was published in Lancet. And basically, I think that, again, that particular study, that case study, kind of set the tone for the rest of the world and for the, you know, up until now, basically, that creatine is bad for your kidneys. But when we actually look at the science behind it, um, there's no evidence that creatine is actually bad for your kidneys. And the same myth is, is associated with uh, protein, for example. Again, there's a lot of people that believe that a high protein diet is going to destroy your kidneys. But when you actually look at the science and the evidence behind that, it's, uh, it's perfectly fine to consume a, a higher protein diet. Same with creatine as well. There's been uh, hundreds, if not thousands of studies that have looked at creatine and I've shown that it's an extremely safe supplement. Gotcha. And yeah, so before I follow up question, both of these examples now are a perfect um, showcase of how like social media, news articles, blogs can amplify a meaningless finding and kind of create this stigma around something. And it just goes to show like, and people are influenced by that like by the millions, by the masses. So it's just, it's just so unfortunate. And that's why it's so important to you know, have people like yourself actually speaking directly to the lay population rather than having this intermediary source that are cherry picking things from your findings, your studies, and then put, filtering them and putting them out in the way they want to. Yeah, absolutely. And associated with the baldness, again, there was, a, there was one study in rugby players where they basically showed an increased conversion of testosterone, so a horm anabolic hormone, to dihydrotestosterone, or DHT for short. And DHT has been linked to male pattern baldness. But importantly, in that particular study, the hormonal changes weren't um, anything outside of the normal range. And... Uh, 
they and they actually didn't even measure hair growth or baldness at all. It's just that DHT has been linked to it. So there's actually a researcher um, from the U.S., Grant Tinsley, who's you can register your your studies online, and basically that's a way of transparency. But they've registered a, a study that they're going to look at the effects of creatine on hair loss. So wow, we'll have some we'll have some solid evidence in the near future that creatine doesn't actually impact hair loss. Very nice. Very nice. Wow, that would be that would be very interesting to see. Yeah. Um, and just before we move on from this, is does it also add to the, the safety concerns the fact that the breakdown product of creatine is creatinine and that can also be a marker for say kidney damage? Yeah, absolutely. So if you take creatine, it gets broken down into creatinine. And as you mentioned, that's, that's a marker of kidney damage. Um, but importantly, if you're taking creatine, that's a normal process. And elevated creatinine levels are not an indication that your kidneys are actually being damaged. That's just your kidneys are metabolizing creatine. And so it's really important for physicians, doctors to kind of understand that that is a marker, typically a marker of kidney damage. But if you're taking creatine supplements, that marker is completely useless and not important anymore. Um, so I think, again, that's just one thing that people will take creatine. They'll go to their doctor and their doctor's like, wow, you have high creatinine levels something's wrong with your kidneys. And again, that just causes that myth to continue on. Gotcha. That's really well, really well put. Um, yeah. So that's another, that's another one of the examples of, it's like, a, it's just a marker. It, it doesn't, if you're taking, it doesn't directly mean you have damage occurring. Um, but yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think we've hit and, I suppose we've hit how does it work in the body, but aside from muscle strength benefits or muscle size, actually, actually, first, people, a lot of people in high school and first years of college, a lot of gym rats would say, take it because they want to increase their size in, you know, a short amount of time. So will you just maybe quickly graze on the mechanism by which that works? How does creatinine, creatine? Yeah. How can it increase your size? Yeah, so there's there's quite a bit of evidence that if you combine it with resistance exercise, then it can enhance, um, essentially it can allow you to train a little bit more. That's one mechanism because you have more of that uh, potential energy within the muscle. So then you can do a couple more reps on bench press or squats or whatever exercise you're doing and ultimately that could translate to a little bit bigger and stronger muscles over time. So that's one mechanism, but there's also other mechanisms. Um, for example, creatine actually increases water content within the muscle. So the way that creatine actually gets into the muscle is with a, it's called a sodium dependent transporter. And if you bring sodium into the muscle, essentially it brings water into the muscle but that water actually stimulates the muscle to grow. So that's actually another mechanism how creatine actually works. It's not just 
getting more potential energy into your muscle. It's also other mechanisms, potentially through changing the water content within the muscle itself. Okay, gotcha. Very good. Um, and then on that note, is the water, so this is actually a rapid fire question we had, but I, I can hit it now while we're on that note. Is that water retention a temporary effect? Does that, is it transient? Does it kind of like dissipate after a few weeks or does it remain the entirety of supplementation? Yeah, so it seems to happen over the short term. Um, but when you look at longer term studies, it actually doesn't seem to, um, to continue on. And there was actually a recent study done by Brad Schoenfeld where they actually looked at intracellular water content muscle changes with and without creatine and basically what they showed was i believe it was, it was an eight-week training study but at the end of the training study with creatine your muscles got bigger and there was a similar similar increase in the amount of water content and that ratio between intracellular water content and increases in muscle mass if you looked at that ratio, it was the exact same at the end of the study as it was at the start of the study. Between the groups, really the groups supplementing and the groups not. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I must take a look at that study. Interesting. Okay. So after eight weeks, according to this study, that, that water retention is kind of non, it's a non-factor. Yeah. So you're just bigger. The, yeah. Your muscles are, are about 75% water. So if you get bigger muscles, then you're going to have more, more water in yeah. those muscles just yeah. because the muscle's actually bigger. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So stop looking at absolute numbers and look at the ratio. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, so back to maybe looking at recommendations, it's generally marketed to marketed to young high level athletes or even those bodybuilding or training in the gym to increase their size but as i've been following you i've come to to realize that there's evidence to support its efficacy in a range of different populations and I, i've seen on your post and i've seen on other posts before if you're not taking creatine start so maybe you could just go into some groups um, of people that maybe should start considering it yeah so basically it was first proposed to um, enhance muscle performance and either younger individuals or athletes. Um, and then once we found out that it can make your muscles bigger and stronger, obviously it got, uh, it was of interest to bodybuilders, but we've actually done quite a few studies now to show that, um, for older adults, that, uh, if you take creatine and you perform resistance training, again, you can get bigger and stronger muscles. And we've also shown Again, if you take creatine and resistance train compared to just resistance training alone or with placebo, that it can improve some function, functional measures as well. For example, um, sit to stand. So that's a common test that we do in, in science. And the cool thing about that is a sit to stand test was also related to falls. And so if you can perform better on a sit to stand test, you're less likely to fall. So that's quite known in the scientific world. And we've shown that if you take creatine, you can improve your sit to stand test. So hopefully some people in the future show that 
there's also an association, an association between creatine intake and reducing your risk of falling. Wow. Um, so, but basically we've shown that creatine is not only important for younger individuals to enhance performance, it's also important for older individuals to help maintain function, strength, and uh, now there's research to show that it can improve your, your cognition, your brain health, which could be important, especially as you age, perhaps preventing um, Alzheimer's. We know that Alzheimer's disease, for example, is uh, they actually have lower brain creatine content level. Um, other times where you get lower brain creatine content is after a concussion, for example. So now there's a lot of Kind of research interest to look at if you take creatine can you increase your brain creatine content level and can that be of benefit to you know people with alzheimer's disease or dementia or concussions or traumatic brain injuries things like that mm-hmm. so there's there's kind of a huge push in the science world to start to look at some of these things wow so i suppose <laughs> What I take from that is as well, if you're recommending it for the elderly population, then our typical 25 to 30 year old who's worried that it's not safe, you're good. <laughs> you're good. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. That's very interesting about the falls though. Uh, wow. Okay. Now I suppose we'll get into the more specific uh, areas or questions. So creating loading is a well-known or a popular uh, method of loading the muscle uh, with creatine, obviously you'll explain this better, but when you start it initially and it's for a week, seven to nine days or something like that, I'll let you say it, but, um, is it necessary? Yeah. So that's a great question. And the answer is it depends. Um, so if you take 20 grams per day and typically you do that in four doses, so you take five grams four times a day to get a total of 20 grams a day. And if you do that, then um, and you repeat that for five to seven days, to that's seven, like seven. a, that's like a loading phase. So 20 grams a day for five to seven days. And we know that there's pretty, uh, pretty awesome research that was done as early as 1992 by Roger Harris that showed that if you took that dose, you can increase and saturate your muscles with creatine. So in, in just one week. But there's also evidence to suggest that if you take a lower dose, if you just take three grams a day and you do that for 28 days, you can get to the same muscle creatine saturation or content level. And so you don't have to load, um, but if you want to increase the creatine content within your muscle as quickly as possible, like one week, then perhaps a loading perhaps you should load. Um, but if you just want to get the benefits over time and you're looking at kind of uh, just getting your gains in 30 days or 60 days or 90 days from now, then you definitely don't have to load. Absolutely. Very, very. And it just comes down and you, you spoke to Laurent about this. It comes down to the person. Are you, are you looking to improve performance next week? Are you in the gym, just starting back in the gym? You don't really have a time limit you don't need to take four scoops throughout the day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, there you go. You nailed it. Yeah. Um, okay. So a couple of follow-on questions from that, um, that I, yeah. 
First is, would the water retention effect be amplified in... So I actually, it's very funny, I just finished a loading week for myself, right? Because I'm trying to get huge really fast. <laughs> and yeah. I did notice the water, you know, the, the water retention is small, but maybe it was just placebo, maybe it was in my head. Would it be amplified during loading when you're taking 20 grams a day compared to when you're taking three grams? And maybe the latter would be an option for people who would be stressed or anxious about, you know, the bloating effect it could have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's not a huge amount of evidence to look at it, but uh, that's, there's definitely some evidence to support exactly what you just said, that if you take 20 grams a day, you tend to retain more water than okay. if you take a lower dose. So if you're trying to avoid that water retention, then you know a lower dose and don't do the loading phases is probably recommended. Gotcha, gotcha, awesome. And then finally, why is it that we should take 20 grams over four and this is, if it's, if it's what I think it is, you can really apply it to any kind of supplement in nutrition. Why do you take it in four doses instead of one dose of 20 grams? Yeah, it's just, essentially it's easier for your body to absorb. And um, we have creatine transporters, for example, that are trying to bring that creatine from the bloodstream into the muscles. But uh, if you just separate it throughout the day, you're going to, basically take up that creatine a little bit more so. And then also you minimize the effects on your, like some people get uh, GI distress if they take a large dose. So if you separate those doses into smaller doses, you're less likely to get a side effect associated with creatine. Excellent. Yeah, and so like I said, that's exactly what I thought it was. Um, if you did that, with if you, if you look at protein, say for example, if you take 200 grams of protein in one, in one dose, you're gonna feel like shit. You're not, you're, you're, you're not gonna absorb it all. And so I suppose you just apply that same concept to creatine. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, okay, so now what supplement, supplementation protocol do you recommend? And it's important to be specific here, so I'll just give you two populations. The general layperson, um, middle-aged, maybe exercising three to five times a week, not in an elite sphere, but just looking to like improve health and maybe aesthetics. And then yeah. the elite athlete who is trying to increase performance. Yeah, so um, the dosing strategy is actually gonna be similar between those individuals. Okay. And I, I kind of have two approaches. One is I just suggest that people take five grams a day. So that's, it's a simple number, it's, um, it, it works. We know there's pretty good science to support that five grams a day is gonna increase the amount of muscle creatine uh, with, or the amount of creatine within your muscle. But in most of our studies, we actually use a relative dosing, which is 0.1 grams per kilogram of body weight per day. But again, for whatever reason, just doing a little bit of math and figuring out your, your weight in kilograms right. is complicated for people. <laughs> and uh, they make a lot of mistakes in those calculations. But essentially, if you're 70 kilograms, you would take seven grams per day. If you're 100 kilograms, so you're a bigger person, you would take uh, 10 grams per day. So you just multiply your, your, your weight, your body mass in, in kilograms by 0.1. And so we've done that in a lot of our studies in, in the older adult population. And I've shown that that is a very effective 
um, strategy to increase creatine into the muscle and then also to enhance muscle strength function and all those other great things that happen with creatine is there any research this might be putting you on the spot but is there any research to show or to compare the, the regular um absolute five gram recommendation to the relative no no okay okay no that doesn't exist um, but we know that both of those strategies are effective Mm-hmm. But yeah, that it's. Uh, um, I think. I think no one's done it because it's not really that important. Um, gotcha. But yeah, uh, yeah I, I don't think there'll be a big difference between those um, dosing strategies. So okay. whatever one's kind of easiest for people to understand and to follow is probably what's going to work for them. Gotcha. Um, and then another little follow-up, sorry, now I'm hitting you with all these little rapid fire follow-ups, but, um, when I, so I played basketball back in Ireland, um, and I remember vividly walking into games at our, and during our warmups, I'd go to my bag and I'd break out my shaker with creatine and protein into it. And everyone's like, what's that? What's that, Pat? As it goes creatine, I take it right before the game, you know, to improve my performance. Does timing actually matter if you are taking it regularly? Um, probably not. Okay. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so we actually have, so there's one study that looked at if you took creatine just before and just after training compared to if you took creatine, uh, five hours before and five hours after training. So one group got it like close to training. The other group got it on like morning and evening, not close to training. Mm. And the group that got it close to training got bigger and stronger muscles. And so now there's actually been, so the next kind of question is before or after training is does that make any difference? And there's actually been three studies to look at it. And uh, they all suggest that there's no difference between before and after. But if you look at each one of those three studies, there's a, they all lean towards after being slightly better than before okay but there's no statistical difference between those okay and so we've actually just ran a it's called a within subject design so those three other studies used a between subject design so for the layperson what that basically means is if you get uh uh so we're gonna run a study here so pat's gonna go and um do get creatine after training and you're gonna train for eight weeks and we're going to see how big and strong your muscles get. Okay, so you huge. get creatine after. I'm going to train for eight weeks as well. Same program. I get creatine before training. And we're going to compare how big our muscles got and how strong we got. Um, but we're different people. Maybe we had different protein intakes. We have different sleep. We have different genetics. And so we wanted to see if, if timing really made a difference. Um, if we controlled for those things. And so we did what's known as a within subject design. So what I did was I had people train the right side of their body one day and they'd get creatine before training. And then they'd train the left side of their body the next day and they'd get um, the opposite condition. So creatine before on the right, creatine after on the left. And then I would look at how big and strong their left side versus right side got. Um, what we found was actually there was, there was no difference at all. So it doesn't matter 
doesn't matter if you consume it before training or after training. And we've also just ran a study and we got this one published as well that shows that creatine during training is also very effective. Um, so my general recommendation is take it close to training, but it doesn't matter if you take it before, during, or after training. Okay, very interesting. All right, so maybe there was some truth to what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Okay, so now I'm into yeah the very small rapid fires and uh, these. Uh, this has been so informative for myself. Hopefully the listeners as well. Like Jesus, um, are creatine supplements vegan? I uh, uh, yes, you can get vegan creatine supplements. Um, so as I mentioned before, it's made up of three amino acids: so arginine, um, glycine, and methionine. And you can get those from plant-based sources. So there's, uh, yeah, so you can get uh, vegan creatine supplements for sure. Yeah, so just look, obviously just look on the, uh, I have creatine right here in front of me. So just look at this, uh, at the label and make sure it's, uh, yeah, it's vegan, right? Yeah. Is all, yeah, okay, cool. Um, should I, oh, this is a good one. Should I take a break from creatine? If so, for how long? Like, should I cycle it? Yeah, so again, there's no evidence that you have to do this, but uh, again, it kind of comes down to the individual, what's, uh, what's their goals. Um, typically, you saturate your muscle with creatine. It takes about four to six weeks for it, uh, your cre muscle creatine content levels to return back to baseline. So typically, people, if they do cycle, they'll take it for four weeks, and then they'll take four weeks off. Um, essentially, they might save a little bit of money, but creatine is relatively cheap and it's perfectly fine to consume continuously. So uh, you don't have to cycle. Perfect. Yeah. So what I'm hearing there is that if you do come into circumstance where you're traveling or you're, you're just not able to supplement regularly, don't fret. Uh, you have four to six weeks before it's dropped back down. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, okay. Is, yeah, is the water retention a temporary effect? We hit that and is five grams enough or do I need more? We hit that. And then finally, I told you about this one. I shouldn't even put this in the podcast, but my boy Colin, who actually linked the two of us up, asked, creatine, does it have uh, effectiveness for altitude training and is a higher dose better? <laughs> yeah, so um, there's actually no research that I'm aware of that has looked at creatine and altitude. But that, that would be a really interesting question because creatine, the way it works within the muscle to produce energy is called, it's anaerobic. Okay. And yeah. so it doesn't oh, yeah. require oxygen. And so in certain situations where you kind of push your body to be more anaerobic, whether it's you know high intensity exercise, um, maybe you've cut off blood flow for whatever reason, or you've gone to altitude, potentially creatine could be really effective in those situations. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, that's very interesting. Most so tell today. Colin to do that study. <laughs> I will. I will. Here's about Time to get billion. to work. <laughs> I will. Um, okay. So um, that's pretty much it for the questions. And I just kind of came up with maybe a great ending to this. So I never, I never emailed you this, but I've been, I've been ripping off um, some podcasts to listen to where I get, the guests to like maybe go with a quote so I won't put you on the spot now but actually what I might do is what would your kind of next steps for people listening to this that are like 
oh fuck, maybe I'll start supplementing with creatine. What do you tell them to do now? Like, what should they do in terms of personal research? Who should they look to? Obviously, I'm going to get your links you to mention where you are because you're obviously the best person to follow. But um, and it's not like you have stakes in the game. You're not selling supplements, so people should know that Scott's a researcher. He couldn't give a flying fuck if creating companies are making more money. But uh, what would the next steps be? Yeah, so I would recommend that people go to, it's called the International Society of Sport Nutrition. And they have, it's called a position stand paper. Essentially, they brought a bunch of experts around the world to come up with a consensus and write a review paper on creatine. So if anyone's interested in kind of learning the science and everything about creatine from the world, world's experts, that's definitely one place to go. So you can just Google search um, International Society of Sport Nutrition and you can find that particular paper on that website. Awesome. Okay. And then in terms of if they want to buy the supplement, is there a type they should look for? Oh, actually, yeah. So like a type of creatine, creatine monohydrate, that's what I take. Is there a better type? Um, so yeah, there's a whole bunch of different types that you potentially could take. But creatine monohydrate is the most studied and there's no supplement that's been actually shown to be superior from a performance standpoint to creatine monohydrate. Okay. So it's perfectly safe. It's the cheapest one and it's very effective. So if you go to a supplement store and you look for creatine, um, make sure that it's batch tested. So informed sports or NSF, and then just look for creatine monohydrate powder. That's what you need to get. They're going to, they're going to try to sell you on other products because they're more expensive, but creatine monohydrate is the go-to product. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah. So basically for people watching the video, it should just have one ingredient, creatine monohydrate. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes, yeah. So like the front might not say it like this says creatine micronized, but it might not say it. So you, you have to look at the back. Oh, and this is informed batch tested. Wow. I didn't even, I didn't even look for that. Interesting. Cool. So that's it, Scott. Thank you so much for coming on. Will you, will you tell us where we can find you on social um, and follow your publications? Because as I said, for people that are just starting to realize what creatine is after this, you should follow Scott because you are talking to the general population so well. Like I really admire that yeah, about so, your page. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. So uh, probably the best place to follow me is on Instagram. And my Instagram is Scott underscore Forbes underscore PhD. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's where you need to go. And I post a lot of uh, creatine information, studies, other people's studies. And uh, if anyone has any comments or questions, I typically respond quite quickly on that uh, social media platform. So yeah, he does. He does for a dad. He's very active on it, I must say. <laughs> Anyway, so with that, um, I'll let you go. And thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. <laughs>
it just adds an extra dimension for some people, some of those visual learners that just like to watch as they learn. Now, for those that were, are listening that had some questions about creatine, I hope they were answered. And if not, you can reach out to me or Dr. Scott Forbes. As he mentioned, he is quite responsive on Instagram and I can, I can support that or I can uh, confirm that. I'm looking for a certain word here. I can't remember what it is, but he is very, very quick to reply. I promise you. So just reach out to him directly and he's probably the best source you could ever, ever have for any questions relating to creatine, honestly. Secondly, if you are someone who had never heard of creatine or didn't know what the fuck it was before this, then hopefully you learned something about it. And to you guys too, if you have any questions, reach out to myself or to Scott. Probably I'll just forward you on to Scott, so you might as well cut out the middleman and head over there. But um, yeah, that's all. Real quick, before you go, I just want to get that plug in for Evan Lynch and myself. Uh, we've started this platform called Research Bytes, and it's going very well. We have a good few subscribers already. People are giving great feedback, uh, requesting articles and topics for us to cover in the oncoming weeks or upcoming weeks. And basically what it is, is we break down uh, some research articles into very, very easy to understand takeaways. And it's all within the realm of performance nutrition. But we also have, we'll break down articles relating to sleep, supplementation, recovery, uh, pretty much everything related to performance. And that's not in elite sport, it's in everything, right? So if you're an elite athlete, if you're a recreational athlete, uh, just a habitual gym user, if you're a student, a coach at any level, or just someone generally interested in performance nutrition, this is an amazing platform for you. It's very, very affordable, and there is a student deal if you just reach out to me and confirm or let me know where you're going to college, I'll give you that code. If you're interested, just head to research-bytes.com or our Instagram at Research Bites to learn more. But anyway, I hope you all have a fantastic Friday or 2025. And yeah, that was so stupid. Anyway, peace.